Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Well, we're continuing our sermon series titled Unwrap through the book of Colossians. And um, if you have your Bibles or your devices with you, can you open up um, your Bible to Colossians chapter one? We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23. And um, the purpose of this sermon series is to call followers of Jesus to uh, unwrap themselves from the influences and the entanglements of this world and unwrap their full identity in Jesus. And so if you have your text, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, I want to read this and then jump into this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place today. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable to you so that as it has transformed me, Father, that you will allow this word to transform all those who are listening and all, all those who will uh, view this later. We love you, we trust you, and we lift you up. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let all the saints say, amen. Well, um, there was a, a husband and a wife, and this husband and wife oftentimes would debate over condiments and debate over food items. Now, this spirited conversation oftentimes would happen when they would go grocery shopping. See, for the husband, he liked to buy generic brand items and generic brand um, um, food. But the wife, she wanted the name brand food, right? She wanted the, the foods that had some clout connected to it. Well, uh, one day the husband got fed up with all these arguments and he looked at his bride and he said to her, he said, Bae, you know why I buy generic stuff. I buy generic stuff because it is less expensive and it saves us money. But what is your reasoning? Why do you have to buy name brand products? Uh, the wife looked at him and simply said, because your products are inferior. 
the wife, the husband looked at her and was like, okay, that was pretty snobby of you. And so she started to laugh and she's like, bear with me for a second. She said, the reason why I buy this name brand um, packet of eggs is because they have uh, more vitamin D and less saturated fat. The reason why I buy this peanut butter, which is name brand and not your generic peanut butter is because it doesn't have added sugar or, or oils that we can't even name. The husband looked at her and said, what about these products right here? They have the same nutritional value. She said, I just like how it tastes. She said, here's my point. My point is I buy superior products so that it may save our lives, not just money. Uh, I tell you that story because it got me to wondering. It got me to wondering how often do followers of Jesus sacrifice the superiority of Jesus for the inferiorities of this world? How often do we do that? That we're willing to sacrifice the superior Jesus for the inferior things of this world? Like, uh, Like we're willing to sacrifice inferior leadership that we would rather submit to our party and certain preachers than the Prince of Peace. Like we're willing to submit to inferior holistic plans, that we would rather listen to our counselor than listen to the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who gives us discernment and direction through the scripture. Or maybe it's inferior relationships, that because you have not reached that status in marriage or that status in your relationship, you're willing to compromise. Or maybe it's inferior careers that we're willing to work harder for our jobs than the kingdom of God. I think my last inferior point is inferior causes or movements that we're so committed to our cause and we're so committed to our movement that we're willing to neglect the local church. Right? Understand, all these things are good, y'all. But watch this. They do not have the same nutritional value as the kingdom of God. Right? Like they will always be supplement to the person of God and the plan of God. Like I think sometimes we forget that Satan uses the good things of God. He uses the good creative things of God to transfer them into idols of our own hearts. Here's my point. My point is simply this. Why settle for good things when you can be transformed by godly things? Why settle? And I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Why are followers of Jesus willing to settle for inferior things of this world and we have the superior Jesus? And I think the answer to that question is very simple. It doesn't cost that much. The reason why we're willing to settle for inferior things than the superior things of God is because it does not cost that much. I think Jada Edwards said it best when she says that we live in a generation that is willing to subscribe but not submit. And the reason why we're willing to subscribe and not submit is because subscriptions don't cost that much. And so today, I want to introduce you to a superior king. I want to unwrap this truth that our God is supreme. In other words, I want to talk about the supremacy of Christ, the superior Jesus, the preeminent king 
And when you begin to unwrap these things, you will begin to notice that not only is it going to change your life, but it will save it and save everyone that is impacted by it. And so the verses that I read in Colossians chapter one, when you begin to kind of unwrap it and you begin to unfold it, you quickly begin to notice that Paul wants to tell these believers of Colossae something about Jesus. In fact, you know it's something about Jesus because of he uses four personal pronouns. And I love them because he says he is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning. Like, I know some of y'all got excited just by that. I wish I was T.D. Jakes and I could, he is, you know, like I wish I could bring my inner charismatic out. He is. And the reason why you were so excited and the reason why you thought it was a Jorge Munoz original, (laughs) right, is because it is a hymn. Paul is worshiping our king. Like he's excited about Jesus and all of the things that he has done and also who he is. But remember, he's not just worshiping because of who he is. He's worshiping him because he is committed to the believers of Colossae growing in the knowledge of God, walking in a manner that is worthy and pleasing before God. In other words, Paul wants us to understand the supremacy of Christ, the superiority of our king. And I think Paul wants us to understand four things about Jesus. I think he wants us to understand that Jesus is superior over all creation. He wants us to understand that Jesus is superior over all churches. Yeah, I I know some of y'all want me. He, He wants you to understand that Jesus is superior over death. And lastly, I think he wants us to understand that Jesus is God. And so the first truth that I submit before you today is that Jesus is superior over all creation. Look at verses 15 through 17. Paul is declaring that Jesus is supreme over all creation. But before he gets to his rank, he wants you to understand his representation. In other words, who is Jesus? And he tells you in verse 15a, he is the image of the invisible God. I love that because the word image here comes from the Greek word icon. It's the English word that we use, icon. In other words, Jesus is the perfect replica of God. Now, the reason why we say perfect is because he shares in the essence of who God is. He is not a copy right? But he is fully man. He is fully God. And he is the perfect picture of deity. I know some of you are asking the question that probably Philip asks. Philip asked Jesus in John chapter 14. He said, Jesus, Lord, my king, he said, show us the father and it will be enough. And it was almost like Jesus rebuked him. He was like, how long have I been with you and you still do not know me? He says, if you have seen me, you have also seen the Father. Do you not believe that the Father is in me and I in the Father? That everything that I'm speaking is on the authority of his own accord? He says, I'm God. In fact, I am the physical representation of the invisible God. I love that. 
Paul is going to echo this truth a little later in verse 19 when he says it is the for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So now Paul transitions. He transitions from his representation to now his rank. And I love the second part of verse 15 because he goes on to say he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this term firstborn, we have seen it before, right? It's it's the term we use every time we talk about the president's wife and we call her first lady, right? And we call her first lady not because she was the first lady to ever live in the White House. We call her first lady because of her connection to the president, right? This idea of him being the firstborn is talking about his rank. I know some people have said it speaks of temporal priority. Uh, It's connected to time. Or some people have referred to it as the birth order, that he's first in line as a a child or um, the the first child and whose acclaim is to the inheritance of his parents. But that's not what the text is talking about. What the text is talking about is his supremacy over all of creation. And let me see if I can make this point plain. When God sent his son, when God sent his, his son to the earth, not only was it connected to his demonstration of his love, but Hebrews chapter one, verse two says, God has appointed Jesus heir over all things, which simply means this, that God gave Jesus the right to rule over all over creation. It is his rank. He is the firstborn. Jesus is superior over all creation. And you know this, that that this is the truth because Paul begins to explain further how Jesus ranks over all creation. Because in verse 16, he says, because Jesus created those things. He created those persons. Look at verse 16. He says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or um, rulers or even authorities, Jesus is superior over the entire universe. The reason why I'm so excited about this because I'm sitting there like, like Jesus is the man. Like right now, man, I'm, I'm watching this anime called One Punch Man. I see some of the crowd got excited. Some of y'all get excited about it. The reason, the reason why I like One Punch Man, because he has no equal. Like I'm tired of watching Dragon Ball Z and they powering up and then they still get defeated by the enemy. When One Punch Man shows up, he be like, look, you can get punched with this conservative punch or this normal punch. Which one do you want? Jesus is supreme over everything and all of creation. He has no equal. Oftentimes we think that when the end of the world comes that Jesus and Satan go like duke it out. Like Satan go get a punch and Jesus. The text says that he speaks a word and it's over. What's the point that Paul is trying to make in verses 16 and 17? Well, the first point he's trying to make is all things were created through him and for him. That there's nothing on this earth that has ever been created that has not went through the hands or the spoken word of Jesus. And not only through him, but for him. That everything on this earth is going to be used for the glory of our king. 
And the text simply says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But here's the second thing, and I, I love this one. And in him, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things are being held together. The earth is being held because of Jesus. The sun is being held because of Jesus. Your life is being held together because of Jesus. Can I get a witness? 2020 has just disrupted all type of things. But if it had not been for my king, if it had not been for my Lord, there's been a couple of people that, man, mm, uh, thank you, Jesus. One of the things I oftentimes say around here at church when I'm about to do something that doesn't reflect our king is thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that restrains me. It's the Holy Spirit that has kept our lives together, our minds together, our emotions together, our relationship together. The text says that he holds all things together. Now Paul transitions from him being superior over all creation to now him being superior over church. Jesus is the superior over all churches. Not just some, but any church that has the name and the obedience and the deed of Jesus Christ, he is superior. How do you know this, Pastor? Look at verse 18. It literally says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Now, I know when we look at our current state of the church, it causes us to ask the question, who is in charge? When we look at Good Morning America and we see famous pastors on there falling morally, and, and now he's being fired from the church. We see churches uh, removing pastors because of their pride or asking them to step down because of their pride. Uh, we see church affirming false doctrines, things that the Bible is clear. That's a violation of God's character and his command. We see now churches ascribing to it. We see churches whose allegiance is more to their political party than the kingdom of God. You even see professing believers leaving the church. And it causes us to ask the question, who the heck is in charge? And Paul biblically would say, it's our king. It's Jesus. Jesus is the authority and Jesus is the power of the church. Jesus is the foundation that does not move. Jesus is the rock that when the storms of life come, it stands. In other words, in the same manner that Jesus has supremacy over creation, he also has supremacy over the community of believers. Jesus is in charge. And this should be good news to us. And the reason why it should be good news to us, because if Jesus is in charge, that means the church cannot fail. That we have security knowing that Jesus is our king. In fact, when your mind begins to wonder, as you are looking at the, the, the decay of the church, go back up to the same verse where he says, Jesus is holding all things together. There are still men and women out there doing the work of Jesus, even though they're being ostracized by their own community. Not only does it create security, I think it should also create in us fear. And the reason why it should create in us fear is because God is the general. 
Jesus is the high ranking officer over the church, which means he has given us, the church, the responsibility of being the local embassy on the ground. That when men and women come to the church, the community of believers, they should hear the gospel, right? That when men and women come to the local embassy known as the church, they should find love there. They should find family there. They should find justice there. They should find peace there. They should find the hope of the spirit there. They should find healing there. We have a responsibility to live out all the mandates that our chief and commander has given us. It's creating us security, but it's also creating us fear of reverence for what our king has for us. Here's the third thing I think Paul is pointing out, that Jesus is superior over death. In verse 18, he says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Once again, Paul uses this status term when he says he is the beginning. Because Paul is looking all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And remember in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things on the earth. And it's referring back to Jesus, that Jesus is the beginning. He's not only creator, he's not only God, but he is supreme over all things. But it's the second cause that has sparked my interest. He is the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Well, it's pointing to the resurrection. That Jesus is the only person who has died, who was, who was buried, and he rose again with all power in his hand. In other words, Jesus conquered death. Everyone who has ever come back from the dead, watch this, they have either A, died, or they will die. But Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, even though death hit him with his most powerful move, no existence. And like eating some good ribs, Jesus got up and was like, oh, death, where's your sting? Right? Like Jesus is supreme over death. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the, um, Paul says that death is the final enemy to be destroyed. Jesus has already given us a prelude of what he's going to do with death and that it will no longer have power over humanity again. In fact, if you are a believer, if you have put your trust in Christ, he says you have eternal life. That while you may be saying bye to your loved ones on this side, you are saying hello to your loved ones on the other side. Why? Because your king, our Lord, is supreme over death. And this is important to us, y'all, especially in 2020. The reason why it's important to us in 2020 is because we have seen a massive amount of death. In fact, I was reading a study by John Hopkins and in John Hopkins, it says, we have seen more death in our lifetime since the servicemen and women who gave their lives in World War I, the Korean War, the Vietnamese War, and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq all combined. Because death hurts and it stings. But can I encourage you? 
The text says that he might be preeminent over everything. That every disease and every death and every demon will bow down to Jesus or they will be destroyed. I'm excited that my uncle, whose life was taken through the coronavirus, professed that Jesus was his king, that Jesus was his Lord. And I can say with confidence that he is in a better place. I can say with confidence to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And lastly, and surely not least, Jesus is God. Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is God. Look at verse 19. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Jesus, the fullness of God, the full essence of deity was pleasing to God to dwell. The imagery here is when the temple was filled with the presence of God. And now the presence of God put flesh on. The presence of God put skin on. And God says, I'm pleased with that. Now, let me be be clear. When Paul and I say that Jesus is superior, we are not talking about he is someone who has climbed the ranks. We're not talking about someone who has made uh, many accomplishments so that he may be deemed worthy to be supreme. No, what we are saying is that the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, became lower than angels the one who humbled himself in humanity, the one who was tempted in every temptation but did not sin. The Bible says that he was beaten so badly in Isaiah 53 verse 14 that his appearance didn't even look like he was human. That's the Jesus who was willing to give himself to this world. That's the Jesus who was willing to demonstrate the Father's love Even though he was the higher ranking creation, he is the higher being. He says, I'm willing to humble myself. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Jesus is who who is superior over all things. Why did he make such a decision like that? And I think it's for two reasons. The first reason is to show God's love. But the second reason, according to the text in verse 20, simply says this, through him to reconcile to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his uh, cross. In other words, he did it so that we might be reconciled back to the Father. Jesus is superior over creation. Jesus is superior over churches. Jesus is superior over death. And Jesus is God so that we might be reconciled to the King. Now you hear all of that theology You hear all of that song ringing in your head. And the question you ask yourself is, so what? How does this apply to my life? How do I take this truth about Jesus being superior and apply it to my life? If you are inviting me into a world where Jesus is king, I'm excited about that. But what do I do now? And I got two things. One thing that is for sure. But when I was reading this, I think it's two things that Paul wants believers to do with this truth. And the first one, I believe, is to confess that Jesus is superior in every area of your life. Right. Like Like when you hear this, it brings you to a point of just submission. 
And you begin to look at the things around you and you begin to say, I confess, I declare that Jesus Christ is superior over everything in my life. Would you imagine with me for just a couple of seconds? Because I thought about this. What would happen to our lives if we declared that Jesus is superior over all creation? Well, here's a couple of things I think. We would see more people who are willing to please God than please man. Like we would see more God pleasers than man pleasers. We would see more people seeking God's vision and not the people's views. If we would just declare that Jesus Christ is superior over all creation, I think another thing we would see is more supernatural healings that followers of Jesus would cast out demons because they recognize that their God is greater than that demonic spirit or that disease. You would see followers of Jesus laying hands on people because all of a sudden they believe in the power of God. And lastly, I think we would see more kingdom independence. And what I mean by that, you would see less people putting their trust in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and put more trust in the kingdom values of Jesus. If we believe that Jesus is superior over all creation, what if we believe and declared and confessed that Jesus is superior over all churches? What would happen to church hurt? Right? If we believe that Jesus is the head, that Jesus is the celebrity, then when a brother or sister hurt us, we would try to reconcile with them as opposed to hopping to another church. (laughs) Right. Because the reality is the same church that hurts you is also going to be the same church that heals you. If we believe that Jesus was supreme, we wouldn't get mad at Jesus and denounce him. We will start dealing with the problem and work through the solution of reconciliation. How would that impact parachurch ministries? If we believe that Jesus was the head of the church, that I would see more people who are leading parachurch ministries do it through the church and not apart from the church. You will see more people uh, who, who have parachurch ministry submit to their local church and then respond to the calling of their life and have the backing and the prayer and the leadership of their family. One person once said that we should no longer call it parachurch, which means in the Greek language to come alongside, but we would call it dia church to go through. And here's my last point when we confess that Jesus is Um, superior in every area of life. We would declare that Jesus is superior over death. What if we did that? Then I think what would happen is we would grieve like those who have hope. We would grieve like those who have hope that we would see the man or woman that, 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 that have put their faith in Jesus again. That we would use language like 1 Thessalonians when Paul says they are just sleep. In other words, they have a temporal state, but you will see them again. But the other thing I think will happen if we were to do this is we will proclaim the gospel to those who don't know Jesus because our hearts will be burdened with them dying in the death that is apart from Jesus because we know those who do not know Jesus and they die 
It is once to a man to die. And then the next thing is judgment. That they will be eternally separated from Christ forever. That's what I believe will happen. So all of us have to ask this applicational question. What areas of your life are you settling for the inferior things of this world and not the superior things of Jesus? And here's the last point. We will continue in the hope of the gospel. Look at verses 21 to 23. This is what Paul says. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Notice what he says. He says, when you recognize that Jesus is superior over all things, then you will continue in the hope of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, the first he tells you in the first verse, he says, walk in your new identity. He says, you are no longer a part of the old world. You are no longer a part of the old creation. Walk in your new identity. Bear fruit because that's your new identity. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus. That's your new identity. Give thanks to God. That's your new identity. He says, walk in that. Conduct yourself in that way. The second thing he says, be stable and steadfast. To be stable suggests that you are building your foundation on the things of Jesus. And to be stable suggests that you are willing to persevere even when things get hard in your faith. And here's the last thing. He says, do not shift from the gospel. Do not shift from the gospel. And what he is simply saying, don't move. Make sure you're formally planted in the truth of the gospel. I preach this sermon simply to call you to continue in the hope of the gospel. And I preach it to call you to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over every area of your life. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.